Hebrews 11, verses 8 to 10. Hebrews 11, 8 to 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed and lived as an alien. He both obeyed and lived as an alien by faith. Hebrews 11, 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for what it records on our behalf. Thank you that it is the means of our salvation. Lord, we pray that we will grow in respect to our salvation, that we will have a hunger and thirst for this word, and that we will live according to faith, according to the faith, the true faith that Abraham lived and the many others that we have studied. Grant us an increase of faith. May we be those that obey. May we be those who live all according to your word. In the name of Christ, amen. Now, when we come to this passage in Hebrews 11, verse 8, we're going to continue in verses 8 and all the way actually to verse 19 to speak primarily of the life of Abraham, as well as a few others such as Sarah next time in verses 11 and 12. But Abraham is now the primary example. He is the primary example in many places in Scripture, such as Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 6. He's the primary example in Galatians chapter 3. He's the primary example in Romans chapter 4. In these various places in Scripture, Abraham is the model. From the Old Testament and into the New Testament, he is the primary example because he is the promised father of the faithful. Of all those who have faith, true faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, no matter whether they are Jews or Gentiles, no matter whether they are rich or poor, no matter whether they are male or female, whether they are young or old, it doesn't matter. Whoever has faith in Jesus Christ, they are the descendants of Abraham. They are the spiritual descendants of Abraham. That's why Abraham becomes the example and the model. Another thing to clarify and to remind ourselves of the truth is that Abraham and the many others in this chapter are here not because we are to put them on a pedestal and consider them the, the elite of the faith or to consider them in a way that's unreachable. It's not as though they are the, the most valuable players in the Hall of Fame and there is no way that we can ever attain to having the kind of faith that they have. That's not the reason these are here. They are here to show that we should also live according to their example, that we should have faith too. It may not be manifested in the same way as with Abraham. That is, God may not ask us each individually to leave our current country and go to some other country. He may not do so to us. It may be the case in, in certain circumstances with us, but it's not necessarily the case. The basic truth, though, is that we need to live by faith. Live by faith just as Abraham lived by faith. It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's turn to that passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 
First uh, Corinthians chapter ten. First Corinthians chapter ten and verse eleven. Why is it that these things are recorded? It tells us, First Corinthians chapter ten, verse eleven. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. The apostle listed several examples of incidents in the Old Testament. Then he tells us these are recorded, they are recorded here as examples, and they are for our instruction. Then he tells us that we ought not to think that we are superior to other people. We ought not to think that we are superior to other people, whether in our own generation or preceding generations, because the one who thinks he stands, he better watch out, or else he might fall. Don't let pride swell up. And then verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man, and God is faithful. God is faithful to help us through the temptations that are common to man. So the temptations that Abraham faced, the temptations that the apostles faced, the temptations that the common people of Israel faced, and the, the people of today face, these are temptations that are not unique to each individual, but they are common to all of us. And because they are common, Therefore, if we have a common faith, common faith in Christ, we can overcome just as they overcame. That's what we should do when we study the life of Abraham and anyone else in Scripture. Now, let's go back and turn to Hebrews 11, verse 8. Hebrews 11, 8. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out. Notice this connection in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called. When he was called. Well, who called him? We read in Genesis 15, verse 7, that God is the one who said that he called him, he reminded Abraham, that he called him when he was living in Ur of the Chaldeans. God called him, God revealed his word to Abraham when he was living in his native soil in southern Mesopotamia in Ur of the Chaldeans, or Ur where the Babylonians used to live. In that area where Babylon, ancient Babylon, existed, that's where Abraham lived in that region. God revealed himself to him, called him out of idolatry and immorality, called him out of that whole environment. He called him out of that, saved him, and then told him to leave that country and go to a foreign country. When Abraham heard the word of God, Abraham obeyed the word of God. That's the connection. By faith, he obeyed. He heard the word, and when he heard it, he didn't resist, he didn't kick and scream, he didn't walk away, he didn't complain, he obeyed. He didn't do it waiting and waiting and waiting, he obeyed. He did it with eagerness, with alacrity, with quickness and swiftness. That's how he did it. He obeyed when God called him. And then, he went to a place... It says, by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. Now, when God calls us to obey, he does not do it in a very
bland way or in a very neutral way, in a very neutered way, he does so by putting hope before us. When God makes promises to us, these are not empty promises. They're not bland promises. They are full of hope. They're full of life. This is the thing that he put before Abraham. He was going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. God put something good out there to lead Abraham along the way, to put his hope in that, to put his hope in something that God would do for him, something good that God would do for him because he obeyed God's word. Now, this inheritance we know, he did not receive it immediately, yet God did put it out there. So on the one hand, he put it out there, but he didn't give it to him immediately. He kept having Abraham trust God until the time, until the due time that he would receive it. We'll speak more of that. And then he says, and he went out not knowing where he was going. He went out not knowing where he was going. When God first called him in his native land, in Mesopotamia, when he first called him, God told him to leave, and likely he told him to go to the city of Haran in northern Mesopotamia, not in the land of Canaan, not in the land of Israel. He went to a city called Haran, so he likely told him to go there. That's why they settled there for a while until Abraham's father died there. And then once he was there, at some point, Abraham was told to go specifically to the land of Canaan. This shows the great faith of Abraham. God said, leave. Leave your area. Leave your homeland. Leave there. Leave all of your other relatives behind. Leave all of the sin behind. Leave everything behind and go where I tell you to go. But I'm not going to tell you your final destination until I'm ready to tell you the final destination. Can you imagine that? How could, how, who acts like that unless they are either a man of faith or they are quite desperate, right? Either you have to have faith and trust, have simple trust in the Word of God that even though he doesn't specify the ultimate destination, that I'm going to listen to whatever God says. I'm going to do whatever God says. Either requires faith or desperation. By desperation, I mean such as, let's say, a war-torn country and people need to flee. They need to flee. They need to flee from their country to another country. They don't know their final destination, but because of desperation, they just get up and they take whatever they can and they leave. They run for their lives to some other place where they can have safety. They don't know where they're finally going to live, but they do that. In Abraham's case, though, he didn't leave under those circumstances. He didn't leave in desperation. He left in faith and obedience to do whatever God told him to do. Next, in verse 9, it says, Not only did he leave in faith, but he, uh, or believed and leave in faith and obedience, it says in verse 9, By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise. Abraham was not born in the land of Canaan. The land of promise is also called the land of Canaan. He, did not, he was not born there. He was not a citizen of that country. He came as a foreigner. He came as an alien. He was welcomed there. He came in the proper way, but he came as an alien. He was not a native son. 
And because he was not a native son, he was not only that in a real, in a physical way, but he also lived as an alien in a spiritual way. Because when he went to the land of Canaan, finally, when he arrived in the land of Canaan, he was an alien in a spiritual way. Everyone else around him worshipped idols. Everyone else around him practiced immorality. We know the kind of immorality that existed there because it says in Genesis 13, 13, the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. And then in chapters 18 and 19 of Genesis, it says that those cities were so wicked that God brought instant judgment on them. He tolerated it for a while. He put up with it for a while. But then he brought judgment on them because of their sexual sin. Their sin of homosexuality. So it was a very wicked place. He went from one wicked place to another wicked place. And he had all kinds of wicked people all around him. Yes, he had Lot. He had Sarah, his wife. He had others in his clan among the relatives and among the servants that he had. He had those people, so there was a safety net. There was a place where he could go, but not to the common people. He could not go to the common people in the land of Canaan. He lived there as an alien in that sense. But also we know he lived as an alien because of verse 10. It says, He was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He knew that even though God had promised that his physical descendants would possess the land of Canaan, that ultimately he wasn't living to see that. He wasn't living for that as the end. That was not the end goal. The goal was not to have his name live on on the earth in his descendants in the land of Canaan. No. He was looking for the world to come. It was in that sense that he was living as an alien. In the same way, is, or the same truth is true for us. For example, notice in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. 1 Peter 2, 11. Peter is writing to us, the church, and he says, 1 Peter 2, 11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. He addresses us as the beloved and, and urges us as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts because these wage war against the soul. Keep our behavior excellent, virtuous among the Gentiles. That is everybody else who doesn't live the way we live. And even if they slander us, even if they call us evildoers, on the day of judgment, they will glorify God. They will glorify God because of us. Another place that describes us as aliens in this world is Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Please turn in your Bibles to Philippians 3 and verse 18. 3.18. 
For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. There in verse 20, he tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. That's where our citizenship is. This is why we should not set our minds on earthly things, but set our minds on heavenly things. This is the way in which Abraham lived. He lived as an alien in the land of promise. Now, notice also Hebrews 11.9 tells us that he lived as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Twice now he's used this word promise. It's called the land of promise. And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all were fellow heirs of the same promise. Abraham was living for the world to come. His son Isaac was living for the world to come. And Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, was living for the world to come. At a certain point in their life, when they were converted, this is their perspective. This was their goal in life. Their goal in life was not this life, but the life to come. He tells us also in, in verse 9 that Abraham, Abraham had... The one son, Isaac, from Sarah, and Isaac was actually 60 years old when he had Jacob. Jacob was born when Isaac was 60 years old. And then Abraham, when he died, he was 175. So to back up, Abraham was 175 years old when he died. Isaac was 60, year old, 60 years old when he begat Jacob, so that means that Jacob was only 15 years old when Abraham died, and Isaac was 75 years old when Abraham died, and that means he did not see the 12 sons of Jacob. He did not see, Abraham did not see the 12 sons of Jacob. He only saw these two. Of course, Esau was the brother of Jacob, but Esau was rejected. He was a reprobate. But in, and same with Ishmael, only Isaac and Jacob is what Abraham saw. And yet, it's said here, he lived in the land of promise, and all of these, these three men and their wives, they were heirs of the same promise, but they don't see the promises. They see them in a small way, in a token, but they don't see them in the full form. They don't see the fruition of it all. They don't see it. Why? Because of verse 10. Verse 10. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. This is why. Abraham knew to trust the word of God, and on occasion... Whenever God so chose, God would manifest 
a token or an example, a physical blessing, something to show that God was fulfilling his promises. And he would do so in the life of Abraham. He gave him Isaac and then gave him Jacob. He gave him some other things, many other things in the, in his, during his life. He, God gave to Abraham to show to Abraham that he was with him, that he was a beloved child of God. He did that to Abraham. But he didn't give the full form of anything. He did not give him the possession of the land of Canaan. He did not give him that in, during his lifetime. And even the descendants of Abraham, the 12 tribes of Israel, after they left Canaan, they went into uh, Egypt, they were enslaved in Egypt, they left Egypt, they returned to Canaan, they conquered the Canaanites. When they conquered the Canaanites, even at that point, they never fully possessed every inch, every square mile of the land of Canaan. They didn't even have that under David and Solomon. They had the majority of it, but they never had it fully. And they never had it in their whole history. They don't even have it today in the land of Israel. They've never had it. Why? Because God was teaching them, and he's teaching us, that our hope is not really in the physical inheritance of the land of Canaan. Our hope is really not in everything that we have in this life. But the things we have in this life are examples of the goodness of God to us, but our hope needs to be in eternal life. Because when God does, when God does produce the life to come, when Jesus returns and this world is destroyed, it says that this world will be destroyed with fire and intense heat. It will completely be destroyed. 2 Peter chapter 3. And there it says, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We are looking for the renovation of everything, the renewal of everything. We're looking for that time when the heavens and the earth don't exist as they exist now in a mortal way where evil exists where disease exists, where all kinds of tragedies exist. We're not living for this world, and it's not going to continue this way. We're living for the world to come. In the world to come, it will be peaceful. It will be calm. There will be no sin. There will be no evil. There will be no death. There will be no devil. There will be no flesh or our human nature that wants to sin. Those things will not exist anymore because God will be there, and there will be utter and eternal perfection. Utter and eternal perfection. This is what Abraham was looking for. And he was looking for it as Canaan is a token of the world to come. Canaan is an example of the world to come. That's why the songs say, we're marching to Zion, the heavenly Zion. That's why we sing the way we sing like that. That's the purpose for us to see from the current physical realities, God's presence, so that we might look beyond the physical to the unseen spiritual and live for the world to come. That's what he did in verse 10. He was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Because what God builds, what God builds as the perfect architect and builder it will last forever. The eternal God will produce an eternal city on the earth 
for us, the heavenly Jerusalem that descends out of heaven, Revelation 21, and we will dwell there forever and ever. God will say to us that we are his sons and we will belong to him as his people. There will be this eternal marriage. The Bible uses all of these metaphors. This marriage that exists between us and him and it will be forever and ever. This is what we need to do. Let's live like Abraham. Let's live for the world to come. By faith obeying, by faith living, by faith putting our trust in the things that God tells us about the world to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.